So we're in this series where we're talking about money. Um, I'm calling it the root because you've heard the phrase before, money is the root of all evil. And hopefully by now you know that that's wrong. The Bible doesn't ever actually say the money that money is the root of all evil, even though people tend to say that. You know, the Bible says a lot of things that people get wrong. Uh, you know, the way the, the golden rule is sometimes is misstated, and uh, the Bible has a slightly different version of it. And, and the money uh, is the root of all evil thing, that's another one of these. There are a lot of times when people think they're quoting the Bible, but they're not. Let me show you what it actually says in Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And we're just going to stop there with that first sentence. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says money is the root of all evil. In fact, it's not all evil. It's all kinds of evil. And it's not that money is the root. Money is a root. And and it's not even that money is the root of all evil. It's that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so the thing that we're trying to deal with here is to recognize that at the root of the world's problems is evil. But at the root of evil and all kinds of evil is money. But at the root of the money problems is a heart problem. Because it's the love of money that leads to all this other kinds of stuff. And so last week we talked about greed. We talked about how greed uh, can, can ruin a whole lot of our life. In fact, there were two things in particular that I want to draw your attention to that we looked at last week. This is just by way of review. Greed, remember, we talked about it being the desire for more and more, but it leads to a loss of faith and it leads to many griefs. And we talked about just a few of those griefs last week. We talked about a few of the problems that greed leads to. But the biggest problem that concerned me last week is just this idea that greed can actually cause us to lose our faith. And that's because greed causes us to break down our relationship with God. God wants to be our provider. But as long as we're chasing after the next thing or more of the same thing, as long as we're chasing after these other things, we can get a broken relationship with the God who wants to provide for us. But then the second thing we looked at last week is kind of the solution to this. It says that contentment comes through trust and gratitude. There are two aspects of contentment that... um, need to be in place before the contentment can actually be in place. And that's trust and gratitude. We have to be thankful for everything God has brought into our lives, and we have to trust that He is going to bring into our lives everything that we need. Trust and gratitude. These are the things that defeat greed in our hearts, defeat greed in our lives. And so today, we're going to be talking about something in Scripture that is found at the intersection of trust and gratitude. There's a principle that shows up very strongly throughout the Old Testament and also some in the New Testament that is frequently not talked about in churches. It's the principle of tithing or the tithe. Now, uh, last week is our Gratitude Sunday, and I usually talk about tithing on our Gratitude Sunday, but I didn't talk about it too much last week because I knew I was going to be talking about it this week. And let me just lay it out for you. I intentionally chose to not talk about tithing on the Sunday that we were going to ask you to come forward and put some money in a basket. I separated those two weeks because I don't want you to think that by talking about tithing, I'm asking you to give more. It is a completely different principle. Sometimes people think that churches talk about money because the church wants more of the money. And I want you to have more freedom. I want you to have more faith. I want you to have more contentment. I want you to have more gratitude in your life. And so today I'm talking about the principle of tithing on a Sunday where we are not collecting an offering, specifically because I want you to understand the foundations of what it really is all about. So let me give you a quick definition. No blank to fill in here, just this is my definition of tithing from Scripture. Tithing is when I return to God the first 10% of my increase. Tithing is when I return to God the first 10% of my increase. Um, Tithing is a weird subject uh, for a lot of churches. There are some churches that talk about it a lot, and they make it into sort of a church tax. 
where in order for you to be a member of the church, you know, you have to make sure you're keeping up your tithes. Um, other churches don't talk about it at all, ever. And um, they will just simply pass an offering basket every single time they have an opportunity. They won't talk about tithing, but they'll pass an offering basket two or three times during a Sunday morning worship gathering. And they'll say, we're going to collect money for this thing, we're going to collect money for this thing. They'll have all kinds of designated funds, all kinds of other things. And they won't ever talk about tithing. Some churches will um, talk about percentage-based giving, but they don't ever actually use the word tithing. And so I just want to lay out for you that for me, I step into hot water every time I use the word tithe. I, I tell you, there was a time when I was a pastor in Chicago and I did a message where I went through the Bible passages on tithing and this guy came up to me afterwards. He happened to be the chairman of our leadership council at that church. They were called the Council of Stewards. Weird word for leadership council in a church. But anyway, that's the way that church was doing it. And he came up to me afterwards with the treasurer of the church, the financial head of the church. And he said, can I have a conversation with you in your office? And so I just finished the, the Sunday morning worship time, went into my office, we're sitting down there, and uh, the guy who's the head of the leadership team starts challenging me on what I had just taught. And he's like, the tithe isn't biblical, the tithe is Old Testament, the tithe is not New Testament, we live in the New Testament time, we shouldn't be teaching people about the tithe, that's going outside of our church constitution, that's not anything that we should be talking about. And I just sat there and listened to this guy just tear me for about half an hour or something. And then finally, they ended up leaving. And when I say that, I mean that the guy who was the one yelling at me, his family ended up actually leaving the church. Like a couple months later, they just took off and they were gone. Well, once they were gone, there was no one left to be the chairman of the board. And when they left a you know, a couple other people left, and before too long, I ended up working with the financial guy in the church. And before too long, I learned that that guy who was yelling at me in my office, he rarely gave any money to the church at all. He was very upset that I would talk about tithing, and he himself was not a tither. Again, a few years ago, here in the context of this church, I was teaching on tithing, and uh, a person came, he didn't come up to me physically afterwards, but sent me an email that afternoon, basically saying the same thing. How could you possibly teach on tithing? Tithing is unbiblical. Tithing is Old Testament. We live in the New Testament time. We shouldn't pay attention to tithing anymore. It's something that we shouldn't do. And he was just going on and on in this email about this stuff. Well, it just so happens that since this is a church that my wife and I started from the very beginning, I've been the person involved in the finances. And it just so happened that that guy who was really upset with me was also another guy who wasn't giving any regular money to the church. Then there was a third guy, and the third guy was like, yeah, I tithe, but the way I do my tithe is private, and I just distribute the money to a bunch of different organizations. I take some money, and then I choose which organizations are going to get it, and I send it out that way, and I didn't like the way you talked about it, Jeff, and so that guy was upset. And here's the thing. I have found in my life, raised in the church, my dad's a pastor, I've been a pastor for quite some time now. I've learned in my life that the people who are most upset when I talk about tithing are the people who are least inclined to give God any money back. The people who are most upset about the concept of tithing, and me even talking about it, are the people who just don't want to let go of any more money. Now, I'm just giving you my own personal experience on that, and I don't think any one of you are going to be guilty of that today, because today I'm going to be very clear with you, right up front, I am not asking for any one of you to increase your giving to this church. If you end up doing so as a result of what we study, that's between you and God. I am not giving you this lesson because I want you to increase your giving to the church. Now, sidebar. I do want the church's finances to increase. That's another story altogether. But I am not at this point trying to coerce any individual one of you to give more money to the general fund of the church. In fact, 
I just recently talked to a real estate agent and working with him, the plans are currently set up for us to sell the two buildings to the side here, the property over here. Apparently the property has gone up in value a little bit since the uh, Toys R Us area has now been remodeled. And so we are uh, going to be listing that property over there. It's already been listed and the guy who's listing it is, has listed it for a rather significant amount of money that if that goes through, then this church general fund financial thing, I'm not, I might not ask you for money ever again. But anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that today's message is not about getting you to increase your giving. Today's message is about getting you to live out the principles of anti-greed. Live out the principles of contentment. And they happen when trust and gratitude coincide. So let me take you through some Bible passages. We're going to start with two examples of two fellows who did a 10% money thing. And I think as a result of that, you'll begin to get a picture of what the Bible is setting up for us. We're going to start by looking at, um, we're looking at Abraham. And I'll, I'll set up the story for you. Abraham had a, had a nephew named Lot. And Lot was getting himself into trouble by living in an area called Sodom. Now, this is before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by brimstone from the sky, you know. This is before that. Lot was living in this area, and there was a foreign group of people who swept through the area and destroyed a lot of stuff, took a lot of plunder, and they actually captured Lot and his family. When Abraham found out about that, he went to a bunch of kings surrounding him and he gathered them together into a coalition and said, we have to defeat this other foreign group of people so that we can get my nephew back safely. And so he wanted to go rescue his nephew. So he got a whole bunch of people, they went and they rescued them and then they were victorious. So as being victorious, now Abraham had all this plunder, Abraham had rescued Lot, and now he's got all this wealth, and on his way back through the land of Sodom, he met a dude named Melchizedek. And we know almost nothing about Melchizedek. All we know is that the Bible tells us he was a priest of God Most High. But this was long before the Israelite kingdom existed. This is long before there was any such thing as a Jewish high priest. All we know is that Melchizedek was a guy who served the one true God and was somehow considered a priest, and Abraham runs into him. Now at this time, Abraham's name is just Abram, and so when we read it in Genesis, that's what we're going to see. But here we go. Let's put it up on the screen here. This is from Genesis chapter 14. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. Pause there for just a minute. He is not saying, Abram, I hope you will be blessed. What he is doing there is he is declaring the current state of affairs. Abram, you have come back from this victory with all this plunder. God has blessed you. Abram has been blessed. Abram, you are blessed. Abram, you are now sitting in a place of blessing. Look at what God has done for you. In other words, Melchizedek shows up on the scene and he says, Abram, what you need to realize is that God did this for you. God gave you this victory. God made it so that you had all this plunder. God made it so that you rescued Lot safely. God did all of this for you. It's God's doing. Let's keep reading. Melchizedek then says, And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first time this principle shows up. It's the first time the tithe principle shows up. And it's Abram recognizing that God has blessed him. And so then Abram takes all of the blessing that God has brought into his life, he shaves off 10% of it, and he gives that 10% to the person closest to him who represents God. He just shaves it right off and shoves it all over to Melchizedek. Melchizedek the priest who had said, God is the reason that you are victorious. Now, Melchizedek doesn't say to Abram, give me 10% of the wealth because I'm a representative of God. That's not what Melchizedek says. 
Melchizedek only recognizes that God is the one who blessed him. And Abram, out of a commitment that God is the one who has blessed him, takes 10% right off the top and gives it to the representative of God who's closest to him at the time. That's our first example. But I want you to be very clear that this is Abram acting out of gratitude. Not obligation. No law. There was no law in existence that said you must give 10% of all victory spoils to the local priest. There was no law. There was no requirement. This was just Abram out of gratitude saying, this is what I'm going to do. Now, let's skip ahead because Abraham has a son named Isaac and that son has a son named Jacob and Jacob gets himself into trouble. Because when Isaac is really old, Jacob decides he is going to sneak his father's blessing instead of his older brother. And so Jacob gets the blessing from his father instead of the older brother Esau. But now Jacob is on the run because Esau is going to try to kill him so that then Esau gets this blessing. Anyway, Jacob is on the run. And as he's running away from home, he has this moment where he stops in this little desert wilderness place. And he sleeps. And while he's asleep, he has a vision, a dream of a staircase. And angels going up and down this staircase into heaven and back down to earth. And at the end of that vision, he hears God say to him, Jacob, I'm going to bless you like I blessed your grandfather Abraham. And Jacob wakes up. And when he wakes up, we begin to see this. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is, again, not a rule. This is not a command. This is not any sort of statement anywhere in history that says you have to give God 10%. Jacob is just making this commitment as a vow of future gratitude. It's kind of trust, but it's really a vow of future gratitude. God, you just promised me that you're going to bless me like you blessed my father Abraham. So if you at least give me food and clothing, If you at least give me safety and bring me back to my father's household, then of everything you give me, however much it is, I'm going to send 10% of it straight back to you. This is Jacob saying, God, I'm making this vow, okay? So that's mostly a promise of future gratitude, but it's also a kind of sneaky promise of trust. Check this out. If God wants 10,000 sheep, he has to give Jacob a hundred thousand sheep. You get this? This is a vow that says, God, whatever you need, you can have by giving me ten times more. That's a very interesting thing to say, don't you think? God, whatever it is that you want from me, you can get it by giving me 10 times more. And vice versa, God, whatever you bless into my life, I'm going to give you 10% of it. Now, as I just said that, doesn't that sound incredibly greedy on Jacob's part? Doesn't it sound incredibly greedy that God might give him all this blessing and Jacob would only give him back 10%? Doesn't 10% seem absolutely just dramatically tiny. It's kind of the point. Jacob says, I'm going to leverage future gratitude. And God, I'm going to take a step right now. Everything you bring into my life, 10% is going right back to you. But remember, this is entirely voluntary. There's no rule about it. So here we go. We're going to talk about the lessons that the Bible actually teaches. Those are two examples of tithing, but now we're going to look at some lessons that the Bible actually teaches about this principle that we call tithing. And lesson number one doesn't even mention money at all. But here's lesson number one. God provides what is good. 
God provides what is good. Here we go. I want to start in Genesis chapter 2. Early, 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 early on in the history of humanity, what God does is he makes a man. And then he makes a place for that man. And he puts that man in that place. And then he says some things to that man. And we're going to take a look at it right here. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good. That's important. And good for food. God makes this entire garden filled with goodness. And he's going to take this man and he's going to put this man right in the middle of this garden filled with goodness. Everywhere the man looks, everything he sees is just absolutely wonderful, good. It's amazing. But keep reading. It says this. In the middle of the garden, almost there, go back. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, keep going, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay, so now let's get the picture. God puts this man in the garden. The garden is filled with good things. Absolutely everywhere he looks, everything is good, 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 except right in the middle, quite noticeable to everybody, there is one tree that God says, by the way, Adam, that one will kill you. Okay? So there's all this good stuff all around you. You're free to eat from all of these trees. Good, 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 death. Good, 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 good. There's all this good, but there's one thing that will kill you. Now, we asked that discussion question, are you tempted by forbidden fruit? Because, I mean, this is, once you tell me I can't do something, now I'm tempted. Once you tell me there's a thing I can't eat, now, now I'm wondering about it. Now, I don't understand why... Um, the whole idea of the thing will kill you didn't scare Adam, you know, enough, or Eve for that matter, enough. But nonetheless, here's God. He says, don't eat from that one, it'll kill you. But he's surrounded by good. And here's an important principle for us. I believe God always, reliably, gives us more than he wants us to have. I believe God reliably always gives us access to more than he wants us to have. He did it for the first human beings, and I believe he still does it today. God gives good, but it's hard to be satisfied with good if you've never had the opportunity to say no to bad. And so God puts the one tree in the middle there because now it's not just robot Adam can only choose the good fruit. Now it's willful Adam has to choose to trust that God is good. And he has to choose to trust that God provides what's good. And he has to do lesson number two. He has to choose to believe that God provides enough. All of the good trees, that's enough. This other one is too much. The other ones are enough. And you have to believe that what God provides is enough. In fact, that God always provides too much. And we want to stick with the enough that God provides. Let me share with you some Bible passages here from this one too. We'll put this one up on the screen from Exodus chapter 16. This again is not talking about money. It's talking about the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and complaining. They're saying, Moses, we've run out of food. And Moses says, okay, I'll ask God. And God sends quail and something special called manna. It says, that evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Later, this would be called manna. And Manna is just the Hebrew word for, I don't know what it is. I mean, literally, manna just means, what is it? Don't have a clue. So anyway, they named this stuff, what is it? So let's look at the next uh, section. It says, when the Israelites saw it, Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? Manna. Uh, for they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Okay, God is giving them bread, daily bread. This is what the Lord has commanded. 
Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is just a measurement of size, for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Keep going. It says, Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. (laughs) It's an interesting thing. You can tell God sprinkled down more manna than they needed because some of them were able to collect too much. And those who collected too much, the enough was good, but the too much was bad. It went bad. It wasn't just morally bad, it actually went bad. In fact, for those people who collected too much, their house the next day was nastier, or tent the next day was nastier than it should have been. It affected that nasty extra amount, affected everything in their place. Their tent was smelly. Their tent was full of maggots. Moses was like, oh, this is disgusting. He's angry at them. Again, this is not a law. God doesn't say, by the way, I'm going to set up a rule that says if you gather too much, you're going to get punished. No, this is just the way God designed the system to work. You take too much, by morning it's going to be rotten. This particular manna, whatever it is, this particular food must be consumed on its first day or else it's nasty. It is daily bread, only daily bread, enough daily bread. God provides too much. He provides enough but he also provides too much. And lesson number three, this is when God begins to teach the people using actual words the principle he's been living them through up until this point. God owns the first. There is a first portion of everything that belongs to God. Let me show you a couple verses about this. The first one is coming from Numbers. It says, the Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When God got the people of Israel out of Egypt, he used a miraculous plague that was called the death plague. It was the death of the firstborn in Egypt. Now, anyone could get out of the death plague by just putting some lamb's blood on their doorpost to let the angel know that they were in subservience to God. But nonetheless, a lot of the firstborn died. And so God says, because of the way I got you out of Egypt, I am claiming for myself your firstborn too. Your firstborn should have died, but I passed over them. That's where we get Passover from. Your firstborn should have died, but I spared them. And so God says, I claim the firstborn. But since he didn't want to actually take the firstborn child of every woman, he said, I'm going to make the Levites the symbolic firstborn of the nation. So one tribe out of 12, almost 10%, Not quite. But one tribe out of 12 was going to be set aside as God's tribe. That one tribe was going to take the place of all the firstborn. But keep reading because in Leviticus, we see this. Or excuse me, Numbers chapter 3. He explains the previous verse a little bit further. He said, When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal. They are to be mine. I am the Lord. Now let's go to Leviticus. This is... uh, Also on the same topic, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And now in Leviticus, he has changed the word. It is not the word firstborn. It is not the word tenth. It is the word tithe. But did you notice that? Tithe literally just means tenth, but 
It is used in this context, it is translated in this context as tithe because God is saying that there is a a specific amount, that 10% amount, that is equivalent to firstborn, it's equivalent to first fruits, it's equivalent to tree in the center of the garden, it's equivalent to the extra manna that you don't pick up, it's equivalent to that extra piece, that piece is God's. And so we name it something, we name it the tithe. Now, uh, we might lose this next verse on the screen because we're having some problems with our display system back there, but we're going to keep going and try it. Uh, We'll put it up here. It says, When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you. First fruits, again, first portion, and put them into a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. Then say to the Lord your God, I've removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite. Now, hang on here. This is key. The thing that you say when you are giving your tithe, your first fruits, whatever it is, is not, here is some money for you, Levite. You can be grateful to me for it. It's not, here is some some resources for you, you can thank me later. No, no. The person says, what I've done is I took the sacred portion and got it out of my house. The extra portion. The portion that would have become maggots if if it stayed in my hands. The extra portion. The firstborn that would have died if it weren't for God. The extra portion. This thing is sacred. It belongs to God. I have picked it up. It came into my house. It came into my family. It grew up just like the manna fell down, just like the baby was born, just like the tree was in the middle of the garden. It was there. God has given too much. But because that's the sacred portion, I have picked it up. I have brought it. I have given it to the Levite. I've gotten my hands off of it. Keep reading. I've given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Not just the Levite, but also the needy people in my community. I've made sure that they get taken care of because this is not mine. I got rid of it as soon as possible. According to all you commanded, I've not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. I've not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor have I offered any of it to the dead. I've obeyed the Lord my God. I've done everything you commanded me. So look down from heaven your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel and the land you've given us as you promised on oath to our ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, God, bless all the people. God, bless all of us. I am doing my part to get this sacred portion out. And so God, continue to bless all of us. There is a very, very close tie between the blessing of God and the tithe that is given. The tithe is a gratitude of blessing that has been given. And the tithe is a trust of future blessings to come. And so we come to the fourth lesson. God promises provision. He promises provision provision for his people. I'm I'm going to share with you a couple passages here about that, just two, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. But this is a thing that you need to realize. This provision promise is a promise that exists in the Old Testament and the New Testament. People might say, well, the tithe command, that's all in the law of God, you know, Leviticus and Numbers. And, you know, that's stuff that we don't need to, we don't need to pay attention to the tithe stuff. But yeah, we do want to pay attention to God promising provision. You know, we, we like God promising blessings. We like God's blessings, but we want to ignore the things in the Old Testament principles about those blessings. Now, this is what it says in the Old Testament, but not that old, It's the newest book in the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament. It's Malachi. And it says this, Will you, a mere mortal, rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how are we robbing you? 
In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. God says to the people of Israel, back in the book of Malachi, through the words of Malachi, that the people of Israel were robbing God because of something to do with the tithes. Keep going. He says this, bring the whole tithe. Apparently, they were only bringing a portion, a bit, a part. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. This is God saying that extra bit that you kept was going to rot if it stayed in your hands. The extra bit that you kept was going to result in my stepping away and withholding my protection on your crop. Do you realize that every dollar you and I make is a dollar under the umbrella of the blessing of God? The only reason that dollar ever entered into my house is that God, in His sovereign grace and care, chose to keep me alive, chose to continue my breath, chose to keep my heart pumping, chose to give me the skills, chose to give me all that I needed in my life so that I could do the work that I think I earned my money with. No, God is the one who did all that stuff and all I did was walk in the path that He set up for me and then the money showed up. This is an amazing thing. God says, you have no idea what I've been doing behind the scenes. And you have no idea what I promise to continue doing behind the scenes. And it's not just the Old Testament. Jesus says it too. He says it in dramatic fashion in this way. Uh, Let's put it up on the screen. It's in the book of Mark. Jesus says, truly I tell you, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says, whatever you lose in this life for my sake, I have through the context of the church the ability to replenish. The early Christians took this principle to heart so much that they never talked about tithing. Do you know why? Because they didn't give God 10%. They gave God 100%. We read over and over in the book of Acts, in the early chapters, the early life of the church, people sold all of their profit, all of their assets all of their property, and they took the proceeds from all of those sales and they brought it to, to the, the apostles and the leaders of the church. And they just brought all of that into them and they said, here you go, you guys do with it what you want. The early church took the 100% principle. In fact, there was this one couple that they sold some property and they showed up at the early church leaders and they gave it to Peter. The problem was they held some of it back. And yet they said they sold some property and were bringing all the money. And so they had both held some back and they also were deceptive about it. And so Peter says, why are you trying to lie to the Holy Spirit? And right after the words got out of his mouth, the dude fell dead. And then his wife shows up later and uh, he says to the wife, do you think you guys gave us all the money from the sale? And she says, oh yeah, sure. And he goes, well, the guys who carried your husband out are waiting for you. And then she drops and she's gone. And so here's the thing. The early church doesn't talk about tithing as a principle because they had gone way past it into deep layers of gratitude and generosity. But the principle remains the same. Tithing is just an expression of gratitude and trust. Now, there are a couple questions that I want to end our time with. The first question is, do I have to? And the second question is, well, how? But before I do that, I want to share with you a follow-up to a story I shared with you last week. Last week, I told you that when my son went to college, 
the summer before he went to college, I did some math and figured out that um, our family income was $500 per month too short to cover our expenses and cover his tuition without going into student loan debt. Already, by me saying the words college and no student loan debt, you also already might be thinking, well, man, God has given them financial abundance in a number of ways. And yes, in, in a number of ways, that is absolutely true. I'm not trying to say in any way, I'm not trying to compare my situation and the way God has chosen to bless me and my family with uh, contrasting or comparing to anyone else. I'm just trying to share with you something amazing that God has done, and I'm giving him the credit for it. Anyway, my whole life I've been raised to follow this tithe principle. My parents did it. I went to college without any student loan debt. I went to graduate school without any student loan debt. We followed this tithing principle our entire lives, and God has continued to be faithful so that when I got that extra, when Jen got that extra pay raise in that August, before Charlie went to school, that was exactly the amount of money that we needed per month, I was absolutely astonished that God had taken care of us, that he had met us at the right moment, in the right time, with the right amount. It was amazing to me. And lo and behold, four years later, three years later, my daughter now is going to college. And this summer, she's preparing to go to the same school where my son is going. And she's preparing to go to this school, and I'm preparing to pay for it. And so I'm sitting down with spreadsheets, and I'm trying to analyze all the different things, and and the first bill comes in from the school, and I see my son's bill, and I see my daughter's bill, and I'm like, oh, those are both happening at the same time. And now I'm getting nervous. I'm getting a little bit worried. I'm getting a little bit scared. I'm looking at the numbers. The numbers don't seem to add up. I'm wondering to myself, how are we going to be able to cover this particular situation? How are we going to be able to take care of that? Because, you know, when, when it was one student and you only needed to come up with 500, that was one thing. But when it's a whole extra student, now I'm beginning to get worried and scared. And so I was wondering, what's going to happen here? What's going on? Well, it so happens that my daughter got a significant number of scholarships that brought her total package tuition stuff, things, down to about half of what it was before. Scholarships are a wonderful thing, you know, to encourage your kids to get their homework done. You know, it it works. But anyway, scholarships are a wonderful thing, but I'm still looking at what's left over because what's left over is still way, way more. And it's August. And Jen doesn't get a raise that is exactly the right amount of money. But early, early on in August... She sends me an email from her work saying that she just found out that some stock options that her company had given her had matured, and that if we reinvested them, one thing would happen, and if we cashed them out, another thing would happen. I got the numbers from her, and I kid you not, within a thousand dollars, the numbers of what her stock options would bring into our family and what my daughter's expenses would take out of our family matched. And I said, I said okay, Jen, um, I got to tell you, if we sell the stock options, that perfectly, and I mean perfectly, covers this semester for Katie. And right after that, Jen said to me, Oh, and you know what? They told me that I'm going to have another set that are going to mature in January. I was like, you're kidding me. Same amount, same amount. Now, am I up here trying to say that if you tithe, God is going to make sure that you can go through college without student loans? No. Am I trying to say that if you tithe, if you practice the principle of tithing, then God is always going to show up with cash to cover your needs at the last minute. No, I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is, time and time and time again in my life, I have seen God come through. And I am not going to say it's a cause and effect. I'm not going to say, because I tithe this much, God gave this much. What I'm going to say is because God is so awesome, loving, perfect, gracious, because God is the kind of God who wants to give people enough and too much as a test, 
Because God is the kind of God who wants to provide what's good. Because God is the kind of God who does these things. Frequently, often in my life, he shows up in this kind of way at exactly the right time. No, I can't make you a promise. All I can show you is what the Bible says about the kind of God that we follow and what it means to live in a life of gratitude and trust with him. So I'll leave you with just a couple thoughts before we close out our time in a song of commitment. Question number one, do I have to? Well, you know, the Old Testament has a law about tithing. God claims that you have to bring him the first fruits. God claims that you have to bring him the first 10%. God claims these sorts of things. Do I have to? You know, am I still under the Old Testament law? If I don't do the tithe thing, am I going to hell? What's the, what are the consequences? First of all, let me just say, anytime a person asks the question, do I have to, you really need to hear it in the way the teenager would say it. Do I have to? You know, that's always what the question, the question means, I don't want to until you force me to. And listen, we live in a world right now where there are a lot of people who can hear the word, I recommend that you do a thing, but they will say, but I don't have to do the thing, and so I'm not going to do the thing. And we live in that world, we've always been those sorts of people. I think better of you. I think you're the kind of people who don't need to be told you have to. And in fact, I can change the question. If the question is, do I have to tithe, I'm going to change it. And the question I want you to ask is, do I have to say thanks? Oh, now that really lays it on me. You know, God has given me all these amazing blessings. Do I have to say thanks? Do I have to be grateful? God has blessed me all the ways he's blessed me. Do I have to trust him? Yeah, see, the question isn't about whether or not there's some rule that says I got to do this thing and check off this box. The question is, do I want to be a person of trust and gratitude? And this is one of the ways in Scripture that trust and gratitude manifest themselves. In fact, I think in financial ways, it's a massive way that trust and gratitude manifest themselves. So the question is not, do I have to? The question is, do I want to be a person of trust and gratitude? That's it. So then the next question is, well, how? If I want to be a person of trust and gratitude, how do I do that? Most of us have debts we need to pay off. Most of us have obligations. Most of us are already living above our margin, you know, where our, our income is this and our lifestyle is up here. You know, so how can I give 10% of my income? That's going to put me back down here. And I, listen, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. There are a lot of life changes that have to happen. I will say this. I've met people time and time again who are living here, income here, choose to tithe on this and all all of a sudden, amazingly, the next month, even though their income, their usable income is down here, it works. Because God had already said to the people of old, he says, listen, you got some fruit that's fallen off your trees. If you are in, if you are in relationship with me, a relationship of gratitude and trust like I want you to be, I can take care of that for you. Now, I'm not, again, I can't make the one-to-one promise and, and I'll say you've got some some working to do, some figuring to do. We'll talk about that next week, some of the pragmatic stuff about how do you get finances in order in a way that would honor God. But, but I understand that's difficult. Of course, there's the other question. You know, do I tithe off of my gross or my net? Do I tithe off of the bottom number on my paycheck or the top number on my paycheck? You know, do I tithe? Do I tithe? What do I, what do, I do the math on? And I'll just tell you the way I do it. My approach is to say, God, I want to make sure that my increase, the first portion of that leaves my hand as soon as possible. And so I do it in two ways. Number one, the number that I think of when I think of my salary, the number that I think of when I think of my compensation, that's the number that is the number that I tithe on. And literally, I never think of my own number as the after-tax number. If the government is basing their income, their tax, on X, why should I make God get any less than what the government is doing its math on? So, for me, I do the pre-tax top number, and I do my percentage off of that. Secondarily, I always shoot for 11 or 12%. Because as far as I'm concerned... This is a sacred portion that I want to get out of my life. 
and I want to make sure the sacred portion gets out of my life as soon as possible. So it automatically comes out of the bank first day of the month. It automatically gets out of there. I have a, I have a check that automatically goes. And I try to base that number off of like 11 or 12%. I usually round it just because I like round numbers. And so I make it like 11 or 12% because I just want the sacred portion out of my hands as soon as possible. Which leads me to the last question. Some people would say, well, can I split my tithe up in different ways? You know, I'm going to give some over here and I'm going to give some over here. I'm going to keep some in my pocket so I can give to the homeless person on the street and I'm going to do all these different strategies. And I just want to say, listen, if my hands are on it, then I'm the one deciding it. And I don't want that. I want to get the sacred portion in a basket, get it out of my hands as soon as possible, and give it to the Levite who's going to take care of the fatherless and the widow. You know, that's, that's my job. I'm just going to get it out of my house as soon as possible. And so for you, I would say what you want to do is just get the lump and send it. Send it somewhere. If you choose to send it to Lafayette Community Church, that's a wonderful thing, but I'm not asking you to do that. I would ask for you, if you can't trust us to use the money wisely, then there's a bigger issue that we have to deal with, and we should talk about it. We make sure all of our finances are completely transparent. There is literally a website link I could send you that literally anyone on the planet could click on and see all the money that came in and all the money that left and how it left. It's, it's publicly available. We've got that going on. None of the people's names are there. You know, we don't record on the public stuff who gave what. But it's available. And so if you have any questions about that and how we use money around here, then that's, that's something that I would love to talk through with you. But those are side issues. The issue is, am I going to build my financial life on a foundation of trust and gratitude? Or am I going to build my financial life on a, on a foundation of need and greed? Trust and gratitude or need and greed. I get to choose that. And God has given me principles for how to make that choice. So I want to ask you, how do you want to build your life? Do you want to build your life on the foundation of Jesus and his word and what he says, or on some other foundation? Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.